Adam, welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a platform for both legendary and rising artists to talk about their own personal stories on how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Joseph of the band Garrison over Zoom video. Joseph was born and raised in Massachusetts, and he got into music through theater. He was in musical theater, performance theater, all through middle school and high school. In high school is when Joseph learned how to play guitar, and he started playing guitar solely to write songs. He was never really interested in learning cover songs. He wanted to use it as a vehicle to write his own music. He went to college for theater, for musical theater, always loved to perform, so he started performing his own songs at different coffee shops and local clubs around the area. He talked about the bands he was in prior to Garrison, recording their first three-song demo, going on tour for the first time, the initial release of their record, The Bend Before the Break, and now, 20-plus years later, the record's being re-released. It was remastered. It's being re-released on vinyl for the very first time, so we talk a lot about that as well. You can watch our interview with Joseph on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be cool if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy. Please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Garrison. Nice to meet you. I'm Adam. Um, and this podcast is about you, your journey in music. And we'll talk about, uh, obviously, the re-release of the, sure. the new record. Or not the new record, but the record from 99, I believe. Ben yep, before the break. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's first talk about where were, you, where were you born and raised? Born and raised in Worcester, Massachusetts. What was it like growing up there? Um... The city has the most mentally ill per capita of any city in the country. When the Is it really? Up, yeah, and the most mentally ill that should be institutionalized that aren't because um, during the Carter administration and then into the Reagan administration, they cut funding uh, in most of New England for mental health and they gave people a bus ticket to Worcester. So it, the background of my childhood is I just thought every street corner had somebody that never crossed the street. And I thought oh. everybody that talked to himself, yeah. and I thought everybody, every pizza parlor had somebody in the corner that just twirled their hair and never ordered pizza. So that's what. Oh, wow. So they just sent, they sent these people there. Mm-hmm. Why, 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 the, why Worcester? Uh, it's the second biggest city in New England. Oh, okay. Um, and what ended the, the end result of that is a lot of my friends, basically, if you, when you graduated high school, if you didn't go to college and you stayed in the Worcester area, the easiest job to get as a 18 year old was to work in a group home, uh, taking care of anywhere from, you know, five to 10, um, clients 
is what they referred to people that had mental issues. And a lot of times, a lot of those kids would end up taking those medications that should have gone to those mentally ill people uh, and selling them. So anyways, it was a fun place to grow up. Oh my. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? How did you get into music? Musical family though? No, no. We didn't have a lot of records around my house. Like maybe like Billy Joel. My mom really liked Kim Carnes. Um, stuff like that. But there was a place when I was young, or maybe around, I guess, like seventh, no, eighth grade called the Worcester Artist Group uh, mm -hmm. that ran a, a sort of a legal warehouse space. And so I was introduced to underground music around 88, 89. And it wasn't just music, it was like performance art and um, sort of out visual art. And, and it was really neat. I was very, very fortunate to have that as, as a young person. That's cool. And what was the first instrument you learned? Guitar. Guitar. How old are you when you started playing guitar? I was 14. Okay. And it was always a vehicle to write songs. I never wanted to be a guitarist. I just wanted to write songs. And that seemed the easiest way. Like I wasn't so interested in, in, in playing an instrument that only had one note. I wanted to, you know, either piano or guitar because I had chords. Sure. And you, you always wanted to write songs. It wasn't like, oh, I want to learn this song from X, Y, or Z band. Yeah. Yeah. And even when I would play along to songs, I'd like, I would, I would listen to like R.E.M. or Jane's Addiction. And when I, you know, in my room and I'd play along, I would play lines that I wouldn't learn what they were playing. I would play things that I thought sounded like they made sense, like another guitar line. You know, oh, that, that, like your that, own riff within yeah, the song. Like if, if I was part of the band, like what would I do? You know, that that's kind of creative. Thing. I've never, I've, I've never heard anyone say that before. That's yeah, amazing. Was, that was more interesting to me to be like, what notes can I play that work? Sure. Okay. Were you into like creative writing or lyric writing at all prior to getting the guitar? Yeah, I loved creative writing. I loved um, theater. I'd always done okay. theater. I started in like, I guess, fourth grade. Um, and that aspect, I really loved performance. And still to this day, I think that um, music, I went to college for, for theater. And, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And, and it was which was super fun, but, but the idea of doing something like a film required too many moving parts to me because you need a really good script and a really good director and a really good cast and ensemble and a really good DP. And like, whereas yeah. music, I could control, I could write it, I could find the person to record it. You know, I could get three other people to, to gel as opposed to 50, you know? Sure. Um, that seemed to make more sense to me. Were you in just like dramatic theater or was it more musical theater or all? Started off as musical theater. Okay. Up, I mean, it always does, I guess, you know, singing and dancing and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And then, um, then, I, then when I got to college, all I wanted to do was straight plays. I want to do Ibsen, you know, okay. I wanted to Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I, I, I have a soft spot for musicals now. I went through a phase where I guess you always like reject things and I hated them. And now I don't know. Musicals are awesome. Sure. Yeah. It's funny how that is. Like you're, you're just taste changes or as you get older you kind of appreciate things more than you did yeah, when yeah. you were younger yeah, you um, come around and be like you know you know what west side story is pretty dope yeah that was actually really well written that <laughs> yeah, is um so you were were you in a band prior to, to attending college or was it always mainly doing theater and, and musical Not theater really i had a couple pals um actually ed ed mcnamara who who he and i started garrison together um mm -hmm. in high school he was in a band called frozen culture and i used to just sit in the basement and watch them play countless hours and i just loved it and i think that was more inspiring than you know people say like oh i saw the beatles or i saw mm -hmm. you know the who or whatever that seemed out of reach to me 
Whereas seeing my friends play music in a basement, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. And that was the first moment where I thought maybe this could be within my wheelhouse. Okay. And I mean, the scene in the time, or still, but uh, the scene in Boston and in the Massachusetts area with the bands that were coming out of that at the time was insane. Were you into that like style of music, like Caven and, you know, those type of bands converge? I um, never really, I, I, I liked, I liked metal and hardcore um, for the energy of the shows. Okay. And I liked the musicality of it of spe specifically metal i thought like wow that's they can do that that's and that's really neat but um i always loved rock more okay I loved, I loved more more swagger i liked more i, I liked the sort of looseness and the, the 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 swing of good rock metal is great but it's very linear you know it's like very mm -hmm. it kind of sounds like a calculator to me um and then um hardcore is, is awesome but it's very simple music because it's supposed to be simple music because it's played you know it's supposed to be easy to play for like young kids because mm -hmm. it's such a youthful based music um so musically i was never really pulled into hardcore but the energy of the shows and the idea that the crowd was part of the show was super exciting that was really illuminating to me mm -hmm. and you hear that a little bit in the in in the garrison songs where you have the heavier parts but obviously the the, the melodies and you can hear what you're saying, <laughs> you know, everything else, but like that, but like it, it, it has that, um, I don't want to compare you guys to anything, but like, it reminds me a little bit of like at the drive-in where it's like heavier stuff going on, but then Cedric's kind of singing, but then he's kind of yelling, but that's nice of you to say, I like that band. Um, you know, what's interesting about the, at the drive-in is everybody, um, Nobody else sounds like that band, right? So all these right. people, when that band came out, uh, nobody truly sounds like that band because when people, uh, you know, you air drum along to a band, mm -hmm. air drum along to At The Drive-In, they air drum along to the vocals because they're so percussive. Oh, like like they don't point. actually air drum to the drummer. They're air drumming to the like, <laughs> like, cause it's so cool what he's doing over, over the music. Um, but I thank you. Like that, that's very nice. I, I like that band a lot. That's good. Okay. I didn't want to offend you. You're like, no, oh, no, I hate no. that band. Why would you ever say <laughs> the that? Worst man. Come on. Sound like that. No. Okay. So you didn't really start a band. You didn't, when did you start Garrison then? Was that your first band? No, no. I had like sort of um, some stuff in college that, you know, wasn't really fit for consumption outside of my world. And then I also played, I played a lot of coffee shops, like acoustic guitar. I played with a while for, with a cello player for a while. Wow. Um, yeah, just I really liked the idea of, of creating my own music. It wasn't very good, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. And then I had this long sort of epic emo metal math band called Stricken for Catherine with some friends. It was very, very ambitious. And we were trying to do, you know, like 13 minute long songs and all these different okay. parts. Um, not metal, but, but you know, it, it had tinges of that. Um, and I think that by the time I started Garrison, which would have been winter of 98 we started writing ed and i i wanted i didn't want any more long songs i wanted to write you know condensed what i considered pop songs even though they weren't you know pop rock songs but they weren't really poppy mm -hmm. and but in comparison you, to what i was doing it was sure when did you start the singer songwriter uh or what was like really the first band you were in was it the, more of the acoustic singer song yeah stuff? college college stuff i mean probably like 92 91 i started performing at like coffee shops there was a place in westboro mass called the old vienna coffee house i played there um i would play open nights at the wag 
um, you know, just sort of getting up there with a the guitar when I was, I don't know, 16, 17. Okay. Um, but I didn't have a proper band. I mean, like, you know, Stricker for Catherine was a band. So that, I guess I was 19 um, to about 22. And then Garrison started when I was 23, which I already felt so old for because our contemporaries were bands like Cave-In and mm-hmm. they were probably 18 at the time, you know? And I felt like, oh man, I'm so late in this. They've been playing and putting out <laughs> records and I'm tw- the ancient age of 23. How right. <laughs> what am I going to do? When you went to college for theater, were you pursuing, did you want to do, you know, something with like Broadway or more in that realm or what? No. What? Well, I always really? wanted to do music. Yeah. And I, I just love theater because it, it, because I had so much experience and it, it was easy. It, I mean, to be perfectly honest, probably a little bit lazy as most people are in their college age, um, <laughs> college years. And I just, I liked theater and I, I, I was somewhat competent at it because I'd had so much experience in middle school and high school doing it that it just seemed like, yeah, I can do that. That's fun. And it was really fun. And I, and I love the collaboration and I loved, I do love theatrics, but I never had any intention of following it after college. It was just something to learn. And then I, you know, and then I got my degree, which made my parents happy. And then I could start playing music full time. Okay. So you always wanted to, or it sounds like you always wanted to just be in a band or be yeah. a musician of some capacity. Okay. Yeah. That was always the dream because there's more control because, because generally speaking, theater is, uh, um, an interpretive art form. You know, if you're not writing the plays, you're taking someone's text and taking someone's direction and you're, you know, sort of bringing the text to life, which was fun, but music was creative and interpretive. So not only could I write the material and collaborate with other people, I could perform the material, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so it was, so I'm not concerned with performing, you know, a lot of cover songs. I occasionally do, but I'm not, you know, I have to make them my own, but, um, but I also wasn't concerned with writing material and having someone else perform it. I always wanted to perform it. Okay. Well, you guys I don't do feel, good- I don't feel like I can do that. I don't feel like I can, you know, I, just, I feel like I write specifically for my voice where somebody like Linda Perry can write a song like beautiful and have Christina Aguilera do it. Um, right. Which but then she I, can also write so her own respectful. songs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, okay. I, I see what you're saying, uh, which is, yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you, so when did you meet like Ed and the rest of the guys in, in, in the band in Garrison and start the, the band? Like, how did that all begin? Ed was a childhood friend. We knew each other in the third grade. Um, and we, we bonded over talking about Pink Floyd and The Cure <laughs> and bands like that. Um, we went to a lot of shows together. He, he was going to the WAG before I was. So he sort of led the way. He was definitely like a big, um, he was very inspiring to me um, with his his breadth of, of musical knowledge and his openness to stuff. He had, he had an older brother, who, uh, Phil, who was like really into Elvis Costello and just was feeding him all this music. He knew so much more about music than I did, probably still does. Um, and, and so it was really, he, he was one of the people that sort of took me by the hand and led me into this sort of world of underground music. And then um, once he and I finally decided to collaborate, we just grabbed whoever was around us. Um, and he knew Guy from a previous band, and we just met Andy through um, Kurt uh, Ballou, who plays guitar in that band Converge. Uh, mm-hmm. They were pals, and so he he knew Andy, and he introduced Andy and I at some show together. And he was like, "Oh, you guys should meet each other. You're both really nice people." <laughs> I think he's <laughs> half mockingly, half honestly, you know. Well, that's um, funny. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I met Andy, um, and that's that's when the band started. And Kurt uh, recorded the. F- 
first demo for you guys, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, he recorded it in his basement in Alston, Massachusetts, which was a really fun scene at the time. Like I was working at a burrito joint with some of the guys from Cave In and some of the guys from Piebald. You know, it was a really oh, small cool. scene, you know, and then like Steve from Pi Pi work Piebald, at the yeah. place, you know, and like the drummer from Doc Hopper was our manager and like Kurt, you know, would send bands that he was recording up to me and we give him copious amounts of free vegan food. And it was really nice. You know, it was, it was very, um, charming youthful opportunity that we had in, in boston to 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 be young and to get to collaborate with each other because it was really positive and you know we were feeding off of each other and that was that was a hoot that is were you able to kind of book shows with each other i mean i'm looking at on your instagram you have like these old posters from like shows with cave in and yeah yeah i would imagine that well was... ed ed had actually started something called the space which was the extension of the wag because the WAG is sort of closed. What didn't completely close down, but it become less about shows and more about what the art that they were doing. And then Ed had sort of taken upon himself to open uh, an all ages space in Worcester called the space. And that, that's, that was a, a, a real important hub um, for the Boston scene. Like there was, there was places in Boston that you would play and the space and, and, and there were enough kids and enough infrastructure that bands could come through and play both Worcester and Boston, which are only 45 minutes away from each other and have mm -hmm. huge crowds at both. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of those shows with the emo metal rock bands, all sort of hardcore bands all thrown together. That's awesome. When you finished the three song demo tape, did you tour it or like, what was like, mm -hmm. what's the bands together and you got this recording? What, what do you guys do next? We were super industrious. So, so we, we recorded the demo. We went to dollar a pound and silk screened a bunch of shirts um, <laughs> on anything like, you know, old soccer shirts and everything. And uh, we booked a 10 day tour down the East Coast playing, you know, people's basements or a record store. Um, and I, I wrote letters out and I mailed our demo to every, every record label I could find in like Punk Planet or any zine that I could get my hands on, you know, so mm -hmm. um, initial revelation, equal vision, um, you know, art monk reconstruction uh, and just sent it out, you know, to, to everybody and be like, Hey, we're a, you know, new band. This demo is recorded by Kurt from Converge and we're already touring and sort of the ideas that we have kinetic energy, we are going. So you have it, get on this train if you want, but this train's going. And uh, we got back from that, that, two-week tour and revelation records had called and said they were interested in talking to us that's so we were really yeah things went from from you know zero to 60 pretty quick um you know we didn't we didn't do the thing like release a record uh you know seven inch on a local label and you know that whole thing I and mean, we not we just we took a a big leap forward in in having revelation get behind us which is great mm -hmm. and what did they do for you when you signed the deal um, well, they put out the record everywhere internationally, you know, and so, you know, if, to a fairly unknown band, I, I think if memory serves, the number was we sold 6,000 the first week. Wow. And, and that just blew me away because I, I couldn't, it's hard for me to conceptualize that somebody that I'd never met was buying my music. You right. Because like, up until that point, like you're playing, you know, shows from anywhere to 10 to 30 people. Right. And, 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 oh man, maybe played to 80 people. What a big show. And, and you meet everybody that buys everything. Cause you're also at the merch table or mm -hmm. you're playing in Boston and Worcester and you 
pretty much know everybody in the local scene. So if, you know, we're all supporting each other. So you know that like, well, I bought that band's, band's demo tape or traded demo tape. So I know they have my music, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so once the record came out on Revelation to realize that maybe there were people in, in Germany or in the United Kingdom or in California where, where they were based that were buying and listening to my music was a real a mind fuck, you know, in a wonderful way. Sure. Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Still is cool. That is, I mean, that is. It's yeah. especially now with the internet, it's weird to see like bands will, you know, break or pop off in like some European country and that they're like, I've never mm -hmm. even been there, but somehow they, you know, we're number five in whatever, yeah. Norway. <laughs> For whatever reason it resonates. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and, somehow it does. Yeah. And that's cool, man. That's just. I think like I mentioned this before on another podcast, like one of the best moments of my touring career was was in Nottingham in the UK. And we were at a bar just hanging out with pals called The Old Angel. And we had mm -hmm. played there before, but we weren't playing this particular time. And one of our records was in the jukebox. Whoa. And I just like, it was just such a like, you know, like in a, in a, in a Alfred Hitchcock film when like the, the camera zooms in, but also pulls back at the same time, like in a vertigo. And I was just looking at the jukebox being like, whoa, like my music has been the background of something, whatever yeah. that something is. And, and that's so neat uh, and humbling and just rad. Uh, yeah, that was, that was the best feeling. That is cool. That's like probably even cooler that I would like than getting a song on the radio. I would think like going into a mm. random bar that you, you know, like obviously had played mm -hmm. and then, looking at the jukebox and seeing your record in there like whoa like this yeah. is cool people are you know will pay a quarter or whatever to pick my song out mm -hmm. of this this catalog to play that is really rad yeah it was great that was a great That's feeling super cool when did you start recording the Ben before the break uh i want to say per well we did demos in the spring of 98 but i think we finished the proper recording for it in winter uh, into early spring of 1999. Um, mm -hmm. Brian McTurnan was uh, a real good friend of Ed McNamara's and uh, he had already wor been working with Revelation. Uh, he had recorded some stuff for Texas is the Reason. Mm -hmm. He was in a hardcore band from DC called Battery. Battery, yeah. yeah and so he was just part of the scene and and really good um, record producer. And so he was a great guy to work with as well. So, you know, having worked with Kurt and then worked with Brian, you know, really fortunate to work with people that, that, um, were exciting, creative, and damn good at what they did, you know? Yeah, he's cool. I interviewed him, actually, for his new band, uh, Be Well. Be Well, Be Well, they're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, just the uh, his catalog of, of bands and records that he's produced is, like, so beyond impressive. It's like, yeah. whoa, wait, what? You did uh, The Illusion of Safety by Thrice? And, like, just yeah. bands, like, Movie Life, just, like, all these, like, that whole, he covered, like, all of that emo scene for... 10 15 years he sure did man he's like i feel like his voice on podcast is like a cup of coffee because he's so goddamn positive it's amazing yeah like i feel like if i if i put my headphones on every morning like before i go to work and i listen to brian talk for about like a minute i'm like all right my day's better now <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter like anywhere anywhere in the podcast i can just listen to him talk because he's so enthusiastic and he's so into what he's doing uh it's that's great yeah, he's super cool. So yeah, I had him on and he talked to me about Battery and then obviously he's producing, but his new band, Be Well, who are mm -hmm. really, really cool. And they're doing big things too, which is awesome. They are. They are. Super cool. So he recorded the record. Yep. Um, and now we're years later and you guys re-released the album. 
records coming out. Um, uh, Iodine, again, old pal Casey, who we'd, we'd worked with a little bit in um, Boston, got in touch with Jordan over at Revelation and said, hey, um, I want to do this. I want to do it, release it on vinyl properly. Because it was a seven inch, but it was an EP that had, you know, there were two more songs on the CD. So it never had been properly on vinyl. Um, and we got it remastered and did new artwork with a really cool guy named Dan McCarthy, um, beautiful illustrator, and put the record out. And it's great. And it's, you know, it, he posted it and I, I don't know how many hundreds of copies it sold very quickly, but it's, it's just nice. Like the people, never in my dreams would I have made a record 19 years ago. Or God, it's more than that, isn't it? Because it's yeah. 21, 20, almost 22 years ago and thought that, that people would care right now like and and they do and and i think you know some of this nostalgia great mm -hmm. living some memories and then there's a lot of younger people that are buying it that's wow that's great you I know mean, that's really cool um, well i feel like pop punk and well you guys aren't really pop punk at all but i mean like the email now you're scene. insulting me on no, pop I, I didn't mean to call you <laughs> pop punk but that like the scene of the the emo scene is kind of making this obviously this you know, come back, so to speak, with like yeah. emo nights and all these other things that are going on. Um, do you feel like that has like I don't I bet a lot of people are going and finding Garrison now, right? Like that have been like that are following these other bands and going, okay, who did they, you know, get their inspiration from and pull back and pull back and pull back. I'm sure you're getting new fans of the record, mm -hmm. which must be pretty cool to see. It's great. I mean I I don't yeah, I mean I think there's enough lines that connect that web um that people can 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 go back and, and do the research you know be it online or analog and find you know oh like you guys played with that band and mm -hmm. were thanked on these liner notes and you thank that band and then like maybe i should check this out um there was a lot of great music i mean there's a lot of great music that came out that got popular you know my chemical romance mm -hmm. thursday at the drive-in um that that broke out but then there was also a lot of great music that didn't break out. Um, and it's nice that there's a, you know, a subset of youth culture that is interested, you know, to, mm -hmm. to go back and find that stuff. I mean, I, some of my favorite bands were never big. I was a huge band, uh, fan of a band called Bitch Magnet uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I, I don't think they were ever much of a, anything um, as far as like popularity was concerned. But man, they shaped my musical world for sure. Um, and I think that's great. You know, I think that to, to be able to do that is, is, is pretty fascinating. So when, how did this uh, whole like reissue come about? Like, were you expecting it or was it something you had thought about for a while or was it just kind of, no, cause we had done, we had done the model with Casey and Casey had taken a couple, almost two decades off really of music and he got back into it and he got in touch with me, uh, which again is one of the wonderful things about putting out records is you get in touch with old friends. Um, and so he, we got back in touch and he was like, Hey, I'm starting the label up again. And he originally wanted to just re-release the model, but we had done that not too long ago on a German label called Arctic Rodeo. Um, and he got this idea, like, why don't I just ask Jordan? Because Jordan has no intention of, of pressing that on vinyl anymore. He's, he's, you know, he's quite happy to press Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits uh, and those records that, you know, huge records that he had. Um, you know, 500 copies, 600 copies of a, of a Garrison record is, you know, it's not really worth his time. Um, so, so for Iodine, it is. And for Iodine, it, it's fun and they can give it the love and the attention that, that the record deserves. 
Um, and, and it came about pretty quickly. You know, it, I think thankfully Casey's so industrious that he can, he can make things happen quickly um, and, uh, and efficiently. I know you're in a, you have a bunch of projects going on, but where were you at when, when COVID happened? Uh, I was living in Brooklyn. I own a, a boutique wine shop in Williamsburg. Um, so I'm imagining I must have been exposed to it. I, I think I was probably one of those asymptomatic people because I was working there in February 2020 oh, without sure. a mask. Um, but I had the opportunity to move my, I have two, um, I have six-year-old twins and oh, wow. my family upstate, um, and which has been great. Uh, and so I still go back to the city quite often. Um, but I was, yeah, in the midst of that. So COVID, you know, and parenting, I took a break from music for about five years. Um, and coming back, I have a really new perspective. So I've got two new bands. I have Judas Knife, mm -hmm. um, which is sort of like goth, um, gothy, rhythmic, sort of groovy stuff. And then I have a band called Her Heads on Fire, which would be more in the vein of people who I think were fans of Garrison, would because would, Gar Her Heads on Fire is guitar rock. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, the, coming back, you know, I, I've mentioned this before too. Like I, I fell into the trap of being a jaded, bitter musician who was upset that he wasn't more successful and more famous. I thought it's such a boring thing to talk about. And, um, <laughs> and I came full circle and, and I was just like, no, music's great. And my friends are so talented and they write wonderful stuff. And I'm so happy to be still creating music and part of a scene, um, you know, granted, we're more an internet-based scene um, as right. we're all spread out all over the globe. But, um, you know, we, we all get together at shows. So when somebody comes through town, you go see them. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's almost like a rebirth. And, and the, not just three issues, but music in general for me has been so, so goddamn fulfilling and exciting in the last, last two years. Mm -hmm. Did you start those projects prior to COVID? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were, they were going already. It just COVID sidetracked them. Uh, or allowed us to sort of get perspective on what we're doing as far as the recording went. And I, and I got to work with Kurt again. So Judas and I, we recorded with Kurt. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, things that, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, again, getting in touch with old friends. It's really fun. That is awesome. I love in your, I don't know who wrote your Wikipedia page for Garrison, but <laughs> you've I've, that. I don't, I've never read it. Hopefully somebody that's literate. Oh, well, somebody with literate, but somebody with some humor wrote it because they keep, they, every time they refer to, to Kurt, they say that he's pleasant smelling. <laughs> so I'm oh, sure God. Where, where that came from. Oh, I wonder, I wonder if Andy added that. That seems like something Andy would say. Um, I'll have yeah, to find out. It's pretty hilarious. Like one, okay. So it says additional connections made between Andy Joe by the lovely smelling Kurt Balo. Balu. <laughs> and then, and then he comes up later and it says, uh, blah, blah, blah. U.S. working on their first full length, a mile in cold water with the consistently pleasant smelling Kurt. <laughs> I, wow. News to me. Uh, yeah. that's, that's great. Um, well, we've, we've, hopefully we've, we've fostered a sense of, of comedy. <laughs> I was laughing. I'm like, that is so funny. I wonder who wrote that's this. Great. That's great. <laughs> So, okay. So he helped, he's worked on the new projects that you, that you, you've yeah, yeah. He on worked too. on, he, he recorded, um, uh, Judas knife has a record called death. Death is the thing with feathers. Uh, mm -hmm. and he recorded that. It was so much fun to get back in the studio, you know, 20 years later and, and, and collaborate again, you know, and, and you spend half the time catching up and like, Oh, right. 
what's your kid doing, man? Yeah, here's what my kids are doing, you know, and like that stuff. You talk about that and you talk about, you know, homeowning, you know, really these, these <laughs> adulting. Things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then you also get, get, get to the brass tacks and, and get to make music with somebody that's at the top of their game. Um, and that's, that's really, uh, awe-inspiringly fun. Mm-hmm. Do you have plans to tour with the bands at all? Yep. Yeah. Of oh, course. Okay. Yeah. I like, I love performing. I don't, I'm not a big fan of just making records and putting them out. I think they, they need to live. Um, and, and I like it when they live a on vinyl because I, I just love the physical. Of um, course. Yeah. Of it. And then I think that, that, you know, you need to interpret it in the same way that I wouldn't write a play and just let it be a book. I'd, I'd want to perform it. You know, I'd want to, it needs to be heard and it needs to be heard live and in the moment. And, and so, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to performing more. I've performed one show with each of my new bands, but uh, we're definitely going to be going out on the road uh, once awesome. things get a little bit more normal. Sure. Yeah. Cause some, I mean, as you know, kids come involved and families and everything, I know it becomes difficult to, to be like, all right, I'm leaving for three weeks or whatever to tour. So I think that's really cool and inspiring that you, you want to continue doing that with the new bands. Well, you just have to be smart about it. You know, you got to be like, it's got to be the right three weeks. You can't just right, be like, right, right, of course. tour the Midwest for three weeks and play to nobody. <laughs> Um, you know, it has to be no offense to the Midwest, but, um, you know, you have to be, you have to be, you know, there's the adage, you know, work, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. So you gotta be, you know, make sure that the shows that you do do are going to be, uh, you know, something that is worth everyone's time. All right. A little more strategic than just yeah. getting in the van and driving yeah. to the middle of, you know, the country or whatever. Play, playing basements and record stores. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, when did the, the idea of it was this whole like remix and, you know, re the, the re-releasing of this record, was that all something that came forward during COVID? Was it like, oh, hey, we, everyone's got nothing going on. Like, you know, and then this became an idea or, or did you already have plans to re-release? The, yeah, the no, EP? it did come, it did come through, um, I don't associate it with, with the pandemic, but, but yeah, it, it did. You know, we, we, the, the sort of discussion about it, um, I want to say started maybe two years ago, um, as gears sometimes move slowly in the beginning of these things. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think probably, probably we, we, we discussed it at least as like an idea, but then, you know, you get the ball rolling when you have a little bit more time on your hands and you're sitting indoors, um, not going to the theater. Sure. <laughs> and not going out to eat. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and w- so when, was it just remastered or, or, or did Brian get in there and reproduce anything or? No, like, he didn't need to. Um, okay. No, it was just remastered. Um, I think his mixes, mixes sound great. I think, uh, you know, he, he, he was pretty focused and knew what he was doing at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he, he knocked it out of the ballpark. So it's remastered. So it sounds like broader, um, mm-hmm. but it's the same same idea okay i like that um and so and you have you said new artwork for it and how did you collaborate with with dan uh dan is somebody that casey knew and i think he was a fan of the band and um he he was just like yeah please use my artwork um and he's got such a great i mean his you go to his website and his prints and his portfolio and all the things he's done it's it's really um what a talented talented guy uh, and so it was really nice to be able to to collaborate with him as well uh, and get him on board. And we he just we just took something that was existing. You know, he we took something that was a piece of his, you know, he didn't he didn't actually put together the record for us. We just took a piece of his art 
and then incorporate it into, into the liner notes and everything. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah. you didn't draw it specifically for the, no, no, for no. the record. No. God. Very cool. And are you, what about doing anything with Garrison? Any plans to get back yeah. together and play some We'll shows? do something. Yeah, we'll do something. I mean, I, I think there's, there's, you know, this, this came out I and mean, there's talk about doing, um, Mylon Cold Water, uh, as well. Oh, wow. Um, uh, and you know, that that's in process, but yeah, we'll play some shows. I mean, I think, I think it's just whenever it's a little bit, it's really on those guys. They're all in, in Boston still, and I'm in New York. So they have the lion's share of the work to do. So mm-hmm. they, they have to, you know, basically do, do the wood shedding and get back up to speed. And then I would sort of come in and, 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 you know, step in to, to the work that they already would have been doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have spoken about it and I think it's like, if, as long as it's fun, we'll do it. And I think there's no reason it shouldn't be fun. That's awesome. That is awesome. And thank you so much for doing this. I really, oh, really pleasure. appreciate it, Joseph. Um, I have one more question for you. I want to know yeah. if you have any advice for aspiring artists. I don't, all the cliches are true. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the cliche about doing what, what makes you happy it's true. You can't second guess things. I don't, I don't think you have too much control about your level of success. You can, you can create, create, make your band what you would want to see, make, make something that would blow you away um, first. And if, uh, and, and, and that should resonate. And even if it doesn't resonate with millions of people who cares, you know, that that's not the point. That's not why you're in it. And if you are in it for that, you know, talk to Britney Spears. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's <laughs> do something else. Um, yeah. I mean, all the, all the cliches are true. You know, like the, the being on the road is super exciting and super fun when you're young and in your twenties and it's super hard and super brutal when you're in your forties. Um, you know, the uh, wear earplugs, wear earplugs. That would, maybe that would be my most condensed into that. Wear earplugs. Backwards